0: Welcome back to let's unpack that your biweekly podcast where this queer questioning and questionable quartet unpacks topics at the top of our mind through the lens of anxiety, depression, police brutality, climate change, and everything in between. He's the guy that you remember from college for blowing your back out after shoving a beer funnel halfway down your throat. Andrew Nagy, welcome back to the pod.
1: That could have gone either way.
0: Oh my God. Uh, I went to community college,
2: so none of that happened to me.
0: <laughs> the E in her name stands for exhausting because being <laughs> friends is more tiring than doing an orange theory class with a belly full of booze and bagel bites. It's Erica Ellis.
1: First of all, you're right, but second of all, Bagel bites. Do not ever put my name and bagel bites in the same fucking sentence.
0: <laughs> they, they honestly are disgusting. Like I think they're I disgusting. I love a good bagel bite. But there's only two temperatures of them. It's scalding hot or freezing cold. There's no like warm bagel bite. I fuck them both up.
1: <laughs> God. Speaking <I'm>,
0: of <laughs> fucking it up, he's finally on time to record with us. Kirk Wilson. Happy Earth Day, you monochromatic sprout. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Well, we have um, a very exciting episode, I guess I would say um, for you. Um, you know, just some light topics, climate change, um, the Derek Chauvin trial, and what's to come after that. Um, and then we'll close out the episode with doing our packet ups and we have a few this week. Um, so we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back to unpack the Derek Chauvin trial and the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. All right, welcome back. On Tuesday, after 10 months of organizing, protesting, rioting, an election, 400,000 COVID deaths, Officer Derek Chauvin was convicted on all three charges, including murder and manslaughter of George Perry Floyd. Um, I think first, claps are in order. I think, thank God um, that the Uh, justice system at least worked in this instance of holding this officer accountable. Um, Sentencing is going to be a few months from now, um, but immediately on that note of justice, um, we kind of had this internet reaction of people saying justice is finally served. Um, And I found that to be a little bit interesting. Um, I... I'm not necessarily saying that this wasn't, you know, the justice system working out well by holding an officer accountable, but I'm not sure that, like, justice for people is, is you know, a cop going to jail after someone was already murdered. Um, that cop murdered him. So I don't know if you guys have kind of had some reactions to the verdict, reactions to some of the online discourse, but I've been fairly kind of, At least, impressed that I feel like most of the people I talk to are recognizing that this is just a step. But then a lot of people are saying, "Oh, finally, you know, we can sort of rest; like things are sort of back to normal." Um, And I don't really think that that's the case. But um, Erica, I want to start with you because we talked about a lot of this um, in our podcast leading up to this. Um, The four of us have obviously talked as friends too um, outside of this podcast we've had a lot of thoughts and a lot of reactions. um, And I know that everybody who loves listening to this podcast for you is curious for your thoughts.
1: I mean, all of our listeners. (laughs)
0: Her her response is just a (laughs) cab. Oh gosh.
1: But no, I think this is one of those things where it was either like, I think the bigger concern for a lot of people was that there'd be a complete lack of justice and like it, it, everything would just get turned on its head because to me, like my reaction was obviously like, great, that's awesome um, when it came to him getting all three guilty. But I think that the stronger emotion would have been had it gone the other way, because realistically him receiving all three guilty verdicts was what should have happened And so had it gone the other way, it would have been like, well, fuck, like we literally have nothing like, go ahead, kill us all in the street. You can literally do whatever you want. Um, So I think it was just one of those, it had to end the way that it did or else what the fuck are we here for? Um, So I'm not going to go to sleep at night thinking that I'm any safer today than I was, you know, a couple days ago, but, or quite a few days ago by the time this comes out, but realistically, it's just, it's the bare fucking minimum, and justice is him being alive, walking today, being the father that he is, and being the partner that he is, so to me, it's like, yeah, great, like, you did what you were supposed to fucking do, but I don't, I hope that, quite frankly, white people and white passing people don't walk around thinking that anything's better because it's not. Uh, Literally, he, you know, Chauvin is brought to justice and then a black girl at the age of 16 is murdered. So it's like, all right, fuck you guys. Like we can't, it's never going to be, nothing is going to be right if we're focused on the after effect. Because that's like saying, I got COVID. I'm going to treat the symptoms of COVID when realistically you should have stayed the fuck home, wore a mask and not not have gotten COVID in the first place. So we're I'm tired of this country having to throw bandages on the scars that they make. Like they're stabbing someone in the neck and being like, oh, but here's a bandage we fixed you. It's like, no, bitch, you should drop the fucking knife and let me walk on. Um, Clearly I get heated about this, but it was the right thing, which is great, but again, the moral and just thing is to, I don't know, maybe stop fucking killing black people for no reason.
0: Yeah. Agreed. And I think that there's what? It's like two percent of police death by police result in a conviction or less than two percent. I can't 2000s. even remember what it yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, Andrew, curious as to kind of your reaction to some of this stuff. I think I totally agree with what Eric, said <laughs> it's 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 great, but it's also doesn't change anything necessarily.
2: The word that a lot of people were using was accountability. So this is accountability for Chauvin and not necessarily justice for George Floyd. And I, I agree with that. And again, it's like, the, like this is our, the first step. And I feel like there's been a lot of first steps um, or half steps, at least. But it, it is nice to see him being held accountable, him being found guilty of all the charges um, which I I thought all the charges were correct. They weren't overblown. They basically hit the mark with the charges. They didn't they didn't undershoot, they didn't overshoot. Um, it made sense for the case and he was found guilty on all of them. You know, sentencing is coming up. Um, so we'll see what happens there. And of course, this is going to get appealed. This is going to get appealed till the end of time there's a good chance this may even end up at the Supreme Court, um, which, you know, again, will test this whole thing. Um, So this this is not going away, unfortunately. But hopefully the outcome that just happened continues to happen in sentencing, continues to happen through the appeal process, even if the appeals get all the way up to the Supreme Court, that these sentences are upheld. Because once we have this benchmark that can be applied to other cases.
0: Yeah. That, that's one of the things that I know we're going to, we're going to talk about in a second too, when we talk about qualified immunity and that's one of the things I'm not necessarily, I think, don't think excited is the right word, but hopeful for um, that, um, you know, maybe next time it doesn't have to be, you know, like, cause we all know it's going to happen again, right? It already has uh, since we've, re- since we've recorded this and we released it, it's going to happen. Um, you know, so um, I think that uh, hopefully that type of of kind of like pressure that case to look back on holds more officers accountable while we reform the system too. Um, Kirk, any thoughts?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think ditto to everyone. Everyone has said. I think one of the interesting things about this whole justice versus accountability. I don't even know. And I think um, I was watching um, AOC's Instagram live that she did yesterday. I don't know if anyone saw that, Um, where she kind of, she was sitting outside the Capitol and talking, just reacting to, um, or no, two days ago, reacting to everything. And she kept, she brought up how no one should be out there saying this is justice. And actually she was like, this is barely accountability because if it was full accountability, then the other officers involved would be um, being held to some degree as well and as we know that's not happening right now Um, not saying it should they should be held to the same exact degree as, as chauvin but to an extent that there's no accountability there, there either so it's not even the fullest of accountability because what does that say for um police officers it is you know that you can sit there and aid it happening i mean he, one of them they, they most of them were touching him at some point during the whole thing and um aiding in it. So I think that that's some point that, that's not getting talked about enough. Um, but I agree. I mean, it's, it's, it def- definitely sets a tone for what could happen. And that's a good thing, but it's still, we we don't know for sure, because again, this is one in thousands.
0: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so it's not, it's a stepping stone, unfortunately, it's just a very, it feels like a very large stepping stone, but um, I don't really know if, if it is, but one of the things of hope that the signs of hope that gave me was the reaction of the family. And I think it was um, one way that kept me kind of positive during, because they seemed very positive. Um, I know obviously it's it's not something they want to be dealing with, but I think this they did seem. And, and the, one of the brothers, or both the brothers, kept saying that they saw this as like a victory, um, which I think is appropriate for them to say. I think it'd be weird for one of us to say, but right. um, yeah. it was kind of a sign of of relief and hope to hear them say that that, that at least someone's getting solace out of it.
0: I agree. Um, you know, I think you touched on something that I wanted to to kind of talk about too um, that really stuck with me because I, I really didn't watch a lot of the coverage. Maybe that was my privilege. Um, you know, maybe it was just work. Maybe it was, you know, like I wanted to distance myself from it, assuming that the outcome wouldn't be bad. Like, I don't know. Um, but, you know, that last day just sort of like, looking at George Floyd's family, hearing them on the phone with President Biden, um, you know, and really like hearing them be like, all right, Joe, like, what are we going to do next? And he's like, we got to pass that George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. And, you know, he talked about like bringing them to the White House or something like that, or always making time for them. And, um, you know, you can tell that it was sort of sincere, like Kamala Harris was in the room as well. Like Jill was in the room as well. Um, Dr. Biden, I should say, was in the room as well. Um, You know, and I think that that is where the conversation needs to go now, both on this podcast, but also nationally. Um, so there's sort of kind of two things going on um, in Washington right now. The first is the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act, which I think the House honestly passed, like, last year, right after George Floyd was murdered. Um so, um, you know, that's kind of one proposal that's out there. That's a Democratic proposal. It's kind of led in part by um, Senator Cory Booker um, and Karen Bass, um, both who have a lot of experience, um, you know, working with police officers or as them um, in Karen Bass's case. Um, you know, so they are talking a lot about what their proposal will call for, holding officers accountable, banning chokeholds, you know, banning some of the restraints like the the that we saw, um, the no knock. Warrants, you know, in the case of Breonna Taylor, there's a lot, you know, in that act. Um, and one of the pieces in the act is ending qualified immunity, which essentially protects officers. Um, now, the interesting part about this is that um, Tim Scott, um, who is the only Black Republican in the Senate, is, it would appear like pretty good colleagues. I don't know about friends, but good colleagues with Cory Booker, um, you know. So, um, he is as a Republican sort of proposing his own version of a bill, which he believes can get bipartisan support. And it sounds like it's similar to the George Floyd justice and policing act, but it doesn't have that provision of ending qualified immunity. So, um, you know, kind of, want to break down some of their most recent statements. Um, You know, uh, Scott has said, Senator Scott has said that he's very optimistic um, because he has that friendship with Cory Booker. He does feel that there's a level of trust there. He does feel that they can work together to pass something. They both recognize the need. They just want to go about it in different ways. Um, And, you know, Karen Bass, who's uh, the representative from California and the lead House negotiator, said there's a lot of room for discussion around qualified immunity. Qualified immunity must be addressed. We have to figure out ways to hold police officers accountable. Um, You know, Scott's proposal is a little bit more on holding the police department accountable rather than the individual police officer. And I don't think, you know, I I mean, I think we'll get into it, but I just kind of want to lay that out there of what sort of the difference is where democrats are looking at prosecuting the individual police officers reforming the qualified immunity system the the republicans are leaning a little bit more towards prosecuting the police departments um you know making sure they're in, implementing training and incentivizing that training all things that are contained within the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, but it's not about ending qualified immunity. So Erica, I know you know a little bit more about this than I do. Um, again, the phrase like qualified immunity is just something I feel like people could hear and sort of tune out. So I'm I'm curious kind of your thoughts and kind of perspectives uh, either on these sort of measures or just sort of the measure of qualified immunity.
1: Yeah, so just to give the listeners TM a little background. Um, the way that like the whole point of qualified immunity is basically to say, if I'm a government official acting in good faith, you cannot sue me, which makes sense. Right? Like we would all love to sue Ted Cruz. I'm sure Ted Cruz's constituents want to sue him. His fucking children probably want to sue him. His wife. But any his mailman, like whoever <laughs> the fuck, they're all sick of Ted Cruz. But the thing is, Obviously, when you're in that position, you're more it exposes you. Right. Because, again, I could not like him and find a reason to sue him. So qualified immunity essentially was in, created to protect government officials or, or public agents, I should say, um, from these lawsuits. And basically it was the only way that they could be taken to court is if it's an infringement on someone's constitutional right. We get that. This sounds great, but where it's a problem is the fact that there has to be something that has previously happened that oh my cat just came in, like, oh, we talking shit. Yeah, we are Sandra. Um, but basically, it there has to be some proof that in the past, um, there's a previous case that proved that yes, this is an infringement on this person's rights. Is that where they talk Um, about the establishment
0: clause? Like there has to be, like, it has to be a court established ruling. Correct. That backs up the infringement upon rights.
1: That's correct. And so when you think about the George Floyd case, you're like, okay, if another officer um, puts his knee on a person's neck and it causes them to die, then that's it. It should be easy, but it's so fucking specific that if that officer had his knee on that individual's neck for seven minutes and 37 seconds, they could dismiss the case. Because
0: it's not the equivalent.
1: Correct. The facts of the case do not match. So I think there is actually an instance where a man was choked by an officer And they threw away the case because in a previous ruling where the officer was held liable, the individual was faced upward. And in this case, the individual was faced downward.
0: Yeah, I heard about that when I was like sort of reading about it, too. I think like that is it's like because because the person was positioned differently, the case got thrown out. And I saw this like statistic right. that like, it used to be like 44% of cases would end because of qualified immunity. But now it's like almost 60% of cases will end because of qualified immunity. So it's like becoming a thing that police are relying on more frequently.
1: Exactly. So really the big argument is, cause when you think about it, if you are a doctor, um, a lawyer, nurse, if you make a mistake, you are liable for that completely. And it's usually some insurance that you pay. In some cases, it could be your own personal finances that cover you for that. But for officers, that's not the case. The individual's not liable. Um, And I think that the big criticism was, okay, so then we're gonna have a whole bunch of these lawsuits that come out of nowhere where if I get pulled over and there's a scratch on my car, I'm going to sue the officer, which is incredibly unrealistic, right? When you think about the people that officers usually go after, a lot of them don't have the access to just call up a lawyer really quick. I'm sure the Brad's, Chad's, and Tad's surely can, but they also get escorted, you know, with their still holding their beer in the cop car. So, That's kind of the big complaint. And then the other thing is that, um, you know, officers, they make decent money, but they're not millionaires, billionaires. And so they themselves are financially liable for everything involving the the case, which isn't true. It's usually the municipality, um, the union, or like, I think they can have some, I think there's like some separate type of insurance that they can receive. But essentially, the officer themselves almost never pays for it. It's usually the taxpayer who pays for it. So from a tax perspective, it's a fucking nightmare. Because imagine you work your ass off. You're paying taxes to the city of Philadelphia. An officer shoots you, kills you. The same tax money that you paid out of your wallet that... If you had it, you probably would have been in a better financial situation is quite literally playing a role in paying for that officer's legal fees. Um, and it's just it's one of those things where I do think that. People who are supporters of qualified immunity will always have a good argument because they have that what if mm-hmm. argument, mm-hmm. Where like, what if you have this one person who's coming out of line? And realistically, that's not the case. If officers don't kill people, we don't have to take them (laughs) to court. (laughs) I've gotten a traffic ticket and the officer was really kind. He said, do you know why you got a ticket? I truly didn't. I didn't know how license or how vehicle registration worked in the state of Pennsylvania. And I got my ticket. He, He gave me my ticket. I went home. I paid the ticket. I showed up on my court date. My man didn't show up. I got my money back. Everything was good. At no point was I thinking, this officer did something wrong. And that officer acted in good faith. He was quite literally doing his job to the T. And that was it. Mm-hmm. So I think, personally, to me, it holds officers accountable, right? Yeah. and They're not necessarily- Worse, like.
0: And there's this like bogus argument from the Republican side that the reason we need qualified immunity is that like it's going to clog up the justice system. It's going to, you know, take away the officer's valuable time and it's going to, you know, get them involved in these long drawn out cases. I'm like, we still have <laughs> the police are like the the largest there's eighteen thousand police departments in our country. like we have like it's like the largest one of the largest military forces on earth. And when you look at the United <laughs> States police and you know, uh, I, I think there's a lot of other things we can worry about rather than like a couple people's like a few hours of time, you know i I think there has to be real reform here. It sounds like it's kind of a weak argument. um but Andrew or Kirk, I'm not sure if, if you guys kind of, have any final thoughts on this topic before we sort of move on, um, you know, to the, to the climate change discussion? But we'd love to hear from you guys if you have anything else to add.
3: I was just going to say Erica should be a teacher because that was you spoke very well and taught very well during that. I think, you know, she get some kudos.
1: Bitch, I'm taking these hosts to school every day.
3: OK, <laughs> that's not what I meant. Never mind. I take my compliment back.
1: <laughs> I'd like to redact my statement. Well,
0: Andrew, you're the most pro-police person on the podcast, so I'm sure you have nothing else to add here. So, um, you know, why don't you talk about climate change? You don't believe in that either. So oh, that's true. It's I'm it's a complete. It's a complete myth.
2: This stems from a headline, um, and the headline is from the New York Times. It's Biden wants to slash emissions. Success would mean a very different America.
0: That's the point, New York Times. Yep, yes, the point. Yep.
2: So today, Biden announced um, his new climate goal for the country, which is by 2030, um, we would cut greenhouse gas emissions 50% down to 52% below the levels they were at in 2005. 2005 is significant because that's around when fossil fuel emissions peaked in America. So experts say that even that may not be enough, of course, Um, Many experts believe that the world will need to reach net zero emissions by around mid-century, so right around 2050, in order to fully avoid the potential catastrophic effects of climate change. Um, And that's, of course, melting polar caps, rising sea levels, uh, crop destruction, the whole nine yards. So if we hit this goal, we are going to have to make radical changes to how we live in this country and really around the world but we're specifically talking about America right now. So for instance, by the end of the decade, more than half of new cars sold will need to be EVs. We'd have to shut down almost all or all coal power plants. And I think there's roughly 200 left in America right now. So that's a lot of plants to shut down. Well, quadrupling the number of wind turbines and solar panels We'd also have to aggressively expand our forests because Kirk's going to love this plants. Of course, act as scrubbers to that. We do honey. (laughs) Uh Sucking up all that dirt.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Is that the only thing she's sucking to know? But
3: I am sure Andrew, I don't know if you can get, you might get to it, but I'm sure it's not just like, and that's it. It's like, (laughs) we're to get, we need to get rid of 200 plant plants. Coal plants? Is what you said? Coal? Yes. Like that's a thing. Coal,
1: coal plants. Like oh my fact,
0: god. Coal plants. Oh my so god.
1: I imagine that Kirk's idea of a coal plant is someone takes a piece of coal, puts it in dirt, sprinkles <laughs> water
0: on it.
3: Like, I don't know what they're doing. There's now, a coal
1: tree. The
3: <laughs> point tree. is that I'm sure there's plans to make the people that have jobs there to have other jobs doing these things we're talking about.
2: Well, right. So, yeah. But and like, God forbid. And, and that's the uphill battle we're gonna face. Um, and those were just some of the things we're going to have to oh, change. Yeah. Um, so it's going to require extensive federal policy, and it's going to be met with severe resistance, of course. <laughs> we we just we just know it's going to. And that resistance, honestly, is going to come from both sides of the aisle because megacorporations, who are the biggest polluters, including the fossil fuel industry, obviously, often give equally to Democrats and Republicans. Right. Um, there's data out there that they basically give to whoever they feel has the highest chance of winning that election cycle. So they're kind of agnostic in who they give to because they just want to put money into the winner's pocket. Even if these policies do get passed, um, they will have to be designed and implemented with a lot of care to not cause exactly what Kirk was talking about. So, you know, we can't just put these policies into play and say okay we're going to somehow force american car manufacturers or really all car car manufacturers to manufacture 50% of their product is electric vehicles. And we can't just say we're going to shut down 200 coal plants. There has to be plans in place to take care of those jobs and those people um to not cause economic harm, to not cause energy prices to skyrocket, because all of these negatives that Republicans do talk about, it is a legitimate concern, but they're doing it in bad faith. But these are legitimate concerns. If they're not properly addressed, they will, like so many other things, disproportionately harm poor
0: Americans and also Americans of color. Right. And and that's what I think is not just that. That's like frustrating because it is very hard to effectively talk about this challenge because it has global impacts and it has impacts on already disadvantaged communities, already poorly funded communities. Um, you know, that goes for people of, of all races. You know, it's the Midwest farmer and then the people who live in the city, you know, who have literally no trees around them. Um, So it is sort of this, like, kind of conundrum that I feel personally, I always sort of, like, tune out. I'm like, yes, I'm for climate. Any, Any climate change plan legislation, like, let's go. But, like, today, there were a group of activists and protesters who, like, filled up wheelbarrows full of cow poop and then dumped it, like, on the White House lawn because, like, they're saying that Biden's climate plan, like, doesn't go far enough. And I'm like, okay, well, like, I understand that, right? Like I understand the desire to have bold action that can meet this problem. I also understand though that like something that really rallies up Republicans and like gets them going is like talking about fracking and talking about coal and talking about like hardworking Americans that like, really as a population, they don't exist as much as they did anymore. They're not as big of a community because the world has just sort of moved around them. I find myself like struggling to even talk about this because there are so many nuances in this conversation. And I feel like I even just saw like today Swiss reinsurance, you know, released like an estimate of the like cataclysmic like $23 trillion hit that the global economy will take if we don't meet this by 2050. So it's like, how like <laughs> how are we supposed to like address this? Like, how are we supposed to act on it? And how are we supposed to like talk about this issue with other people is something I'm really struggling with other than like, can we stop fucking killing the earth? Like, that's just all, like, well, that's all I know how to say, you know? Um, I, I don't know. You know, I don't know if anybody has a reaction to that or, or Andrew to, to throw it back to you either, so.
1: So it's interesting because a lot of my family is, I don't want to say anti-climate change. I would say they don't take a stance, but because my family originates from down south, where like in Baton Rouge, there's an oil refinery every few miles. Um, and that's where they worked. I think both of my parents have worked in oil refineries. I have a lot of cousins who are successful and living happy lives because they make good money working at those oil refineries. And so I think that there are whole towns in Louisiana where that oil refinery is what people's whole lives are around. They're towns that exist because of oil refineries and, you know, the people needed places to live. So it is hard because, you know, maybe it's not feasible to have, it's probably, it's certainly not feasible to have a wind turbine in the middle of Louisiana, Hurricane Central with its flat ass self. So it's, there's so many difficult aspects of it. And I think that we are the coastal elite where, you know, we're not in a terrible place like Iowa, where we don't think about those things. Because for us, it's like, yes, like, let's save the
3: no shade to our iowa listeners
1: oh my god actually we do have an iowa listener whom i love but um anyway
3: (laughs) i also think though this is like the one thing that um not one thing because democrats are terrible with messaging just about everything the messaging around this is absolutely horrible it's horrible it is the word no one has ever gotten it down like there's not one democrat that has ever gotten i didn't think this the, it's just climate change but paul basically what you said everyone goes into it kicking and screaming don't kill the earth but then these people don't like this is the and, and it goes it kind of is like how Trump kind of got the people that he got was because he's like, I don't care about that because it's, it's going to remove your jobs. And we, I don't want to remove your jobs. So there, so we don't like, right. Comments. Boom. Livelihood like he did it, versus, he, his messaging was very simple and easy and, and made sense to them. And I don't, yeah,
0: you're right. And screaming, in my opinion, um, putting you know,
3: out songs and celebrities, like the whole thing doesn't help this situation. <laughs> yeah,
0: Right. Like liberals don't come for me, but like, just yelling like climate justice is racial justice is not bringing anybody onto your side. Not because what you're saying is not true. It is true. But when you put that sort of message out there and you simplify that message a little bit, I don't think that maybe you're getting the people that you want on board. Although I am in 100% agreement with you that that is the morally right thing to do. I don't know that talking about climate as a racial issue resonates with the majority of American voters who are maybe not on social media totally, you know, spewing out my ass here of the people that I grew up around but I think when you connect it back to Kirk what you were saying at the beginning is that Yes, some of these jobs are gonna have to go away because they're polluting our environment yeah. and they're making the earth rise and they're making the like weather events be more drastic. And and yes, I understand that this is your job, but what we're gonna do is we're gonna invest in electric vehicles, we're gonna uh, uh, invest in clean energy, invest in, in clean air. Like if you can start to phrase it in something that maybe impacts some of those people's lives a little bit more um, then you can have the race conversation on top of that
3: well you i know, think when
0: I, with their- I I don't know. And and again, maybe that's me speaking from so a right. totally sort of white perspective, but um, you know, I think that that would not necessarily resonate with people in my life versus if I said, by the way, like these are where those jobs go. By the way, Biden has a provision in his plan to make sure that, you know, coal workers and oil refinery workers who are impacted by this get full pensions, you know, by the way, you know, he's going to invest in these. So these people will have other jobs if they want them to and don't want to retire. Oh, and by the way, like Another reason we really need to do this is because it also impacts disadvantaged communities, a lot of which tend to be people of color all around the world. Um, I don't know. That's just kind of my thought on some of this stuff. But I know that's not exactly what we're talking about today. I just think it's an important point. Like I saw all these things. We're recording this on Earth Day. So many people it was a t-shirt with like racial justice as climate justice and you know like cl- climate change impacts blah blah i'm like i i agree and and i think that it is a human rights thing but i don't know that that is going to move people like an economic argument would i don't know i don't know you know
3: also the people that we're trying to move not all of them but a lot of them don't seem to have any interest in the racial conversation believe there is not racism or And then also don't, I don't know if they really care about those people. So why should they make changes in their life for them? I'm not saying it's every single person that doesn't believe in climate change, of course, but like, you know. Some
1: of them are just
3: plain old shitty because they only hate the planet and that's it. Or they don't care about this. They're they're, they're, they're like, oh, I'm good. And they don't see beyond I don't know what it is.
2: I I think it is a, a messaging thing in explaining the issues. A lot of it is very kind of scientific or um, theoretical sounding, right? Oh, sea levels are going to rise an inch, and that's a whole problem. And is it a problem with our education system? Is it a problem of ignorance? I don't know. But that coal plant worker in the Midwest, they're going to hear that and go, oh, an inch? That doesn't sound so bad. What are you talking about? Or they're going to think, well, okay, what does that mean? The beaches in New Jersey are going to move inland a little bit. They don't understand on the left, we often talk about the statistics and those sorts of more scientific arguments, and they just don't resonate. And um, it's the same thing with climate justice as racial justice. Yes, a lot of those people. Probably think that the left makes everything about race and that feeds right into that narrative where it's like, oh, they're making climate change about race and that scares people off. And of course, we want to have an honest discussion about it. But in a way, we we can't I'm not saying have a dishonest discussion, but we just can't talk about every aspect of it like that right now. We have to attack it where we can. I think that's what Biden is getting at with this new policy where they realize that right now we can't go both barrels blazing. We kind of have to go in at 60%, 70%, do what we can because if we went down the path that experts say we have to go down, it is – A really tough pill to swallow. I mean, this country basically has ADD on every single issue. And this is one of them where we have procrastinated for decades on climate change. And now we're at a point where we are at the deadline, basically. And this is it. We have to act now in some form or fashion. And if we're not acting enough, it might not be enough. But anything is better than nothing. So, If he can do anything and make it more about the economics of it and make it more about you're not losing your job, you know, that worker that's on the Keystone pipeline, it's not like you're going to be out of a job tomorrow, you know, we'll find a way for you to go work setting up, you know, wind turbines or work at a nuclear plant or something like that, you know. If they can make it about that and not about these issues that are so easily politicized and the, the right is so, so good at using this messaging against us the bottom line for me is I just fucking hate that it's a political issue and that it's left versus (laughs) right. It shouldn't
0: be. I mean, it affects in the end, it's going to affect all of us equally. Right. It will just impact the disadvantaged communities first, just like everything else. But I think to, to, you know, not to belabor this point, but you know, uh, to belabor this point, (laughs) (laughs) um, you know, the, 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 like when you're talking to that rural, you know, oil refinery worker or that coal worker, and you say, you have to lose your job because if you don't a lot of people who are disadvantaged are going to be x y, and Z. i can't control that like that has nothing to do with me that like imagine saying that to someone you know it, it that becomes a conversation sometimes around us versus them versus if you were to talk to them and you were to say as a person right which is hopefully what i think it it appears Joe Biden is pretty good at, and his team is pretty good at, is talking to, you know, everyday Americans. Um, That's why he won the nomination. Um, To say to them, hey, like, I recognize what's going on in your life is scary. You look at somebody like me, who's a Democrat, and you think I'm trying to take away your job, when the reality is, is your job is not sustainable for this earth anymore. And I understand that you're going to have to get trained in something new. I'm gonna give you that training. Oh, and you know what? You're gonna get better pay. Oh, and you know what? You're gonna get better job security. And you know what? You're gonna get your pension plan that you were supposed to get because you worked as a co-worker for your whole life. That conversation is a lot easier, you know, than starting the conversation with race. I think race has to be an element of this conversation if we're ever going to change minds. But I don't know that it needs to be your starting point when talking to Americans who will, frankly, will lose their jobs because of these plans. Their jobs will go somewhere else and they will have to follow those jobs. So because as Erica said at the very beginning of this, there's not a surplus of stuff here.
2: I think the way that we should start this conversation is a little us versus them. It should be us, the people versus the corporations. That Mm -hmm. is who is left out of this conversation. If we're talking about jobs going away, it's going to be because ExxonMobil cut your job um, and and another corporation is not picking you up. And that is where the government needs to step in and say, okay, we're going to make a pipeline for you to go from the fossil fuel industry to the clean energy industry or any other job. Like we'll give you a stipend to go back to tech school and learn a new trade, right? whatever, whatever it is. Um, and then when it comes to the pensions, that has to be the government stepping in and saying – okay, fossil fuel industry, you have to honor these pensions. Mm -hmm. You have to pick up the tab. This is basically your fine for ruining the planet. We do not talk about the fact that all of this is because of capitalism, basically. Totally unchecked, unregulated capitalism. It is not because you or
0: I drove to the corner store when we could have walked. (laughs) Well, Erica was stabbing her finger, so I want to give her a chance to say something before Kirk closes us out.
1: Um. Just fucking care about the environment. And while we're waiting on this very large scale change to happen, it's easy to make small changes in your life. Um, And so do those things and hold yourself accountable and also use your voice to hold um, your local politicians accountable, even large corporations accountable. Um, At the end of the day, if you, Continue to utilize that voice, like they're forced to do something and listen to you. Um, so, obviously, there's something that we can do, but the fight, it's not on us to stop causing the problem. It's on us to try to fix the problem ourselves and to make things better, really. Um, we're not the end all be all, but if you can do a little bit of work, uh, that would be greatly appreciated on this Earth Day.
0: Kirk?
3: There's nothing to do with the topic, really. I just think we should (laughs) hereby rename Andrew um, Climate Daddy. Oh,
1: my God. Climate or climax. (laughs) When we come back, pack it up.
0: All right, and we are back with our final segment of the episode and our favorite segment of the episode. It is Pack It Up, where we tell a politician, person, or organization to exit stage left immediately, grab their carry-on luggage from the overhead compartment, and slide down that emergency slide. I don't know what I'm saying. Kirk, who are you packing up this week?
3: All right, so this past week, we could, literally there's so many things to pack up, like, like relevant things, right? There was the Demi Lovato, or is it the Froyo, or is it... um There's just literally so much to pack up, but I'm going to pick something that's a little more like evergreen. And I believe as Paul just got up and left, he's not interested in my pack it up. I would like to pack up specifically the PPA, (gasps) but parking authorities all over the country, not just the Philadelphia, but honestly, those in Philadelphia, especially Erica will know how terrible the Philadelphia parking authority is.
0: Erica is getting ready,
3: but just, I want everyone to relate. I'm sure they all hate your local parking authorities. Okay.
0: This, this, this is what we're packing up. I just went and grabbed a beer and I come back and we're talking about the Philadelphia parking authority. I wanted to keep mine evergreen. And I think this is an evergreen one. Um, Erica, do you want to take it? (laughs)
1: Listen to her. Do you want to know why the Philadelphia parking authority is literally a criminal organization? Let me paint you a scene. I'm at my friend's house and she lives in a complex and like, it's kind of a thing where you can park in the fire lane, which yes, is dangerous, but whatever. And so what, but I'm telling you, like I've been to her house and I like picked her up. We were out eight hours later, the same car that was in that fire lane when I like picked her up is in the same spot coming back, clearly have not moved. So it's not a big deal, but regardless, I get towed and I pay the tow fee, like I literally gave the man 200 dollars cash and then um he hands me a parking ticket and I said, "Excuse me?" and the tow guy said, "This is actually when people get violent." And I said, "Yeah." Cause I just gave you $200 and then I get a PPA ticket. And I thought that he worked directly with the PPA cause he had this little affiliated symbol. The PPA literally forces tow trucks yeah. to pay to tow. And then they also get a cut of money. And I'm like, yo, that's some yeah. mafioso shit. Like they're not, it shouldn't, it's, it's unconstitutional. It listen, I
3: want to know first off how they know when I parked in a Javara parking spot, how do they know? When I got there, and when oh, I, you know, they do check. <laughs> yeah, but like in theory, they don't really know exactly what time I got there. And one time, my car was towed when I went to in college in, in a temple. My car was towed from my street to another street because they were like filming a movie or something, and they had to towel? what a courtesy tow. Yeah, so courtesy tow. They towed it to another street. Didn't tell me. And then I couldn't find my car. They towed it and they had it facing the wrong direction in one way. And had seven tickets. So you towed me, put it in the wrong direction, and then came back seven different times to give me tickets. I just think it's something we need to do away with. I think it's so archaic and barbaric to have parking authorities in any, any country or (laughs) any city or any town in this country.
1: Did you pay all seven tickets?
3: I know I fought them and I fucking won. Um, Just like I won the speeding ticket the other week, you know? But anyway, I think that we need to pack up our local parking authorities. And I honestly, I don't job shame. I think job shaming is absolutely disgusting, but I will job shame you if you work for the parking authority. <laughs>
2: Jesus Christ. Paul is looking at both of you like- Erica like, and I like
3: literally are starting sp- to abolish the PPA. I don't care what anyone to say about it.
0: You fucking Here's my thought. Eyes. Move to the fucking suburbs.
1: So <laughs> No. No. They don't have platanos in the suburbs. Like... <laughs>
0: I'm
3: sure y'all can relate. So let's join our petition to abolish the PPA.
1: Oh my God. We should start one at change.org. We'll set that up.
0: Okay. Andrew, what are you packing up this week?
2: Well, mine goes along with my headline. There are a lot of corporate climate culprits, but I want to specifically focus on plastic polluters. So Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and Nestle can pack it the fuck up. All three of these companies have sustainability pages on their website um they post about earth day Interestingly enough, Coca-Cola, I checked their their social media, they did not post about Earth Day. I found that kind of interesting. But they don't
0: want the hate. They don't
2: want the hate. I know. (laughs) Because they are the number one, actually. Pepsi did on their main like Pepsi company page, but not on some of their others. And then Nestle made like a big fucking deal about how much they care about the earth, which is just a huge joke. So Coke has been the number one plastic polluter in the world for A while, more so than Pepsi and Nestle combined, actually. Um, they pollute so so much. You know that gigantic trash pile that floats around in the Pacific Ocean? They might as well slap a fucking Coke label (laughs) on that thing. Good brand. You know what's
0: fucked up? You know what's fucked up? You know what's fucked up? I'm gonna say it.
3: Uh (laughs) what's fucked up? (laughs) You know
0: what's fucked up? (laughs) They they in their Christmas commercials, Coca-Cola has the polar bears. Yep. The yep. the animals that are wow. most impacted by yep. we're probably not the first people to talk about no. this. But I hope, I hope we are. It's the first time it's crossed my brain. Is this like a is it like a ritual? You know, around Christmas, it's like they're celebratory, they're murdering the polar bear, so they're gonna give them like one last memoriam. Like and I'm I- confused.
2: Literally, if if we go any farther down the climate change road, like the only way we're going to know about polar bears is from those fucking commercials that play before <laughs> hey guys, movies. On.
3: I just Googled Coca-Cola and polar bear and the first article that comes up, it's from this February. It is, why did Coca-Cola stop using the polar bear? Is it to be anti-white? <laughs> all right all right no no yeah. they stopped using it yo. No. Yeah. no. now they no. only use black bears
0: <laughs> i can't i can't i don't know what that was we're cutting that shit I, out the black the black bears are being killed too because they're still letting republicans run around with guns so <laughs> uh.
1: <laughs> what is this episode is off the fucking rail
0: i know i know
3: Okay. anyway we should we should pick up all corporations and that's actually why like I, <laughs> <laughs> I think that i said to you guys today i was like and honestly we should i thought should have thought this too andrew is if i said if i see any republicans or conservatives or trump supporters who i f- happen to still follow which is just like why do i even do that um posting about how much they love earth and posting them at the on the beach in tulum and they love the earth like you can suck my left nut because you don't give a shit about the earth
0: why is everyone you know always in Tulum?
3: <laughs> I'm literally going to Tulum for a bachelorette party.
1: <laughs> oh, that's a whole thing.
0: Uh, but yes. Agree. Wait. Pack it up, Coca Cola. Pack it up, Nestle. You know, we're not buying it anymore. And neither are the polar bears because you're killing them. So, um, Erica, what are you packing up this week? Or do you want me to go? Because I have, mine is Tucker Carlson. Kurt
1: gave me an iconic segue and I must take it. You motherfuckers who use social media to use social justice issues to use pandemics and worldwide issues to get some fucking clout can get the can pack it all the fuck up in your stupid little Louis Vuitton never full like I am sick of it I do not care that you went to Tulum I do not care that you're feeling a little sad today because black people are dying. I don't care. And obviously if you genuinely feel that way, that's fine. Don't use a gratuitous selfie to express that. Um, And I am tired of people who are literally posting pictures of their almost labia and then saying hashtag justice for George Floyd. Like, (laughs) it's frustrating and it it creates this culture where real issues that are impacting real lives are it's it's just a device and I can't there's no reality in it there's no caring behind it and You know, people have all these reasons as to why they don't feel like they should be posting about racial justice issues and using their platform for absolutely nothing except for their own validation and their own personal gain. They have this mindset of, well, you know, I don't talk about it because it's just not my place. And it's like it is your place as a white person who uh, who says that they love the people of this world and the only race is the human race and i'm a citizen of the globe like you're you're so disconnected and disjointed that you don't realize that you have the opportunity to make positive change with your platform that yes you probably did work hard for And by you staying silent, it shows that you don't care. And then when you're bringing things up, when it's a trend and when it's in the headlines, it detracts from the people who really have something to say. I get so frustrated because I'm so tired of people only caring about Asian people when they're getting attacked and assaulted in broad daylight with maybe a few people stepping in. The fact that I have friends who are afraid to walk around in Chinatown where they grew up their whole life because they don't wanna be attacked. The fact that you only care about black people when we're a hashtag, or you only care about the environment on Earth Day. You need to stop co-opting these movements to make yourself feel better or achieve this self-importance and get real with yourself. If, I don't know, uh, there's this influencer like Anna Martin or something like that, and, or she's an influencer. She makes really poorly uh, done TikToks and the like, but she has a platform and she has a semi-opportunity to say, you know, I'm a flawed person. I didn't realize this. I used to think this way. And this is what I'm learning. Like that's powerful and that's genuine. Um, And, you know, to speak it in the terms of the influencer, that's good content. Um, And it's good content for the likes in the analytics, but it's also just well-rounded content. Like do that. Uh, Don't post an infographic in one story and then a picture of you Dancing in a mirror in the next story.
3: I, I is that at seen? me or what?
1: <laughs> <laughs> See? No, you did. You actually did spend a lot of time <laughs> with you in that wig. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh,
0: I, I. So you know, I agree, um, and um, I also play a role in this. Um, having a small platform. Uh, you know, relative to some others, relative to some of the people that you uh, critiqued, is that just because you share my posts doesn't mean that you're active. Just because I put that post together doesn't mean that I'm active. Just because I put action items and I encourage you to take them doesn't mean I'm active. Um, And it's something I very genuinely, like, battle with. I have this platform. I need to do things the algorithm rewards fakeness and it rewards pointless selfies with a caption, Black Lives Matter. It rewarded black squares.
1: It rewards whiteness, that's for sure.
0: Well, and it rewards whiteness. And I think that like, it's okay for people, and I'm saying this to myself as well, it's okay to be public about your learning it's also okay to be public about your ignorance, so long as you are not hurting or harming anyone. Um, of course, I can only speak to that from my perspective. If someone says that they feel hurt or harmed, that means you hurt or harmed them. But you know, if you can say, I'm not sure I'm an expert on this, or I read this thing today and here was my reaction, um, I realized I made this connection today between race and climate justice, you know, from something I read. Your words, your context are more powerful than you sharing an infographic, than you posting a picture or a selfie with a hashtag. If you even give it two or three sentences of context to show where you are in the process and you personalize it, even that goes a little bit further than just sort of being like, racism sucks, hashtag black lives matter. You know, like, what are you adding to the conversation, especially as a white person? I, I think I'm speaking to, I hope that that's clear. Um, but you know, I, I think it's on us. Um, and I say us because we have this podcast platform, but also I have this Instagram platform that we need to be mindful about stuff like that um, because it's easy. To fall into performative allyship, but it's also easy to stay silent for fear of looking performative. And so I think we're all kind of figuring out the balance, but to Erica's point, fucking do something. <laughs> like do something real and genuine, you know? Yeah, I I think I've felt
2: that for sure. Where I have pulled back on a number of posts that I've shared and stories I've shared just because it did start to feel pretty performative to me. It was like, what was I doing other than doing that? Um, And I still do share some stuff occasionally, but I'll do like one where before it would be, you know, this time last year I might share a succession of like six or seven different things all kind of in a row. Um, And then I kind of thought like, well, what is that, what is that really helping? And now there's sort of that FOMO thing where it's like, are people going to think different of me if I don't share things? Right. So it kind of gets you on both sides. But I also realize that the majority of people who follow me on Instagram and I don't have a, a big following at all by any means are people who think mostly like what I do. So, you know, who am I actually helping? Um, so for me, I'm lucky enough to have a pretty decent job. I, I can give money to causes um, and that's the type of action that I'll take. Cause that's what I can do for people who who don't have money that they can give. They can volunteer or have a conversation with a family member who feels different or a friend who feels different from you. Um, even one person, you know, it can make a difference. Agreed. Yep.
0: Well, my packet up this week is someone who's really never taken an active allyship in their entire life. And I might also get a little hot during this time. Oh, daddy. Because Tucker Carlson. Yes. recently (laughs) had his 1991 college yearbook exposed. And I don't think you guys heard this story because we would have talked about it in our group chat. So the Washington Post somehow got a copy of Tucker Carlson's 1991 college yearbook where it had his stupid fucking picture and he was making his stupid fucking face and he looked exactly the same way that he does every single night now on Fox News and it talked about the activities that he was involved in as a student at Trinity College. And this is normal, right? You know, when it, it's your yearbook, you sort of list some of the activities that meant something to you and that, that, you know, you were part of. So, two of the organizations were the Christian Fellowship and the Jesse Helms Foundation. The um, Christian Fellowship and the Jesse Helms Foundation are both real organizations and were real on this campus of, of Trinity College. The Christian Fellowship. Uh, calls itself a nonprofit non-political foundation that's focused on the principles of the founding father's traditional American values and the causes which the United States Senator Jesse Helms championed throughout his 30year career. I want to remind everyone that this was in 1991. And in 1991, Jesse Helms, Senator Jesse Helms, was best known for opposing civil rights, abortion access, Homosexuality and funding for AIDS research, and this was an organization that Tucker Carlson, as a 19-year-old boy, adult, whatever you want to call him, was part of. It gets worse because it's not just the Christian Fellowship. You know, I'm I'm not here to attack Christians, although you know I have fundamental beliefs that are very different than yours. Um, The Jesse Helms Foundation, I feel, um, is something in 1991 to be a part of an organization like that when the Reagans were denying treatment to gay men who are dying of AIDS is disgusting, but where it gets even worse is that he also had something on his bio in his yearbook called the Dan White Society. The Dan White Society is not a real thing. The Dan White Society is a reference to Dan White, who was the man who killed Harvey Milk, who was the first openly gay elected official from California in 1978. So Tucker Carlson was referencing in his college yearbook something that had happened more than 10 years prior but thought it was funny enough or it was witty enough that someone who was a pioneer for gay rights was assassinated. So in his college yearbook, this man said, I stand by my Christian values, I oppose AIDS funding, and also I am pro-killing gay people. And when I think about this person, when I think about fucking Tucker Carlson, and I think about the fact that he is the most watched program in the entire United States of America, I get very angry and I get very mad about Republicans in my life who just think, well, everybody has different views. This is not a person who has different views. This was a person who thought that it was so funny or so witty or so clever that he could make fun of victims of AIDS, where people are still dying to this day from AIDS or make fun of gay people serving in the fucking government. And so I find it just poetic that this came out. And I also find it so enraging because he knew that this story was coming out. So the night before the story came out, he said that Jeff Bezos, who now owns the Washington Post, was doing opposition research on Tucker Carlson. This is not opposition research. This is something that you were proud of at one point in your life. So Tucker Carlson, I'm saying on behalf of Every fucking gay person that I know and every gay ally that I know and all of the people who died of fucking HIV and AIDS, fuck you and pack it the fuck up because you can get the hell off of my television screen because you do not deserve an ounce of the American person's ear because you are hateful and you are harmful and you are homophobic. Pack it up.
1: Ah. Are you sweating? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. He I, is I,
0: easily
2: one of the worst people in America right now.
3: Horrible. And I
1: he yeah.
2: I I actually did hear about this earlier. Um, and he, one of his defenses, and I know other people are going to defend him this way. They're going to be like, "Oh, it's just boys being boys," or he was really really young. That was decades ago.
0: This is his
3: Twitter. It's
2: canceled. Yeah, it's culture. it's not. Yeah, it's not a big deal. The difference here. I is, was born in
0: 1991.
2: Yep. And the difference here is is he's not going to come out and denounce these comments and say that he's changed or anything. Because this is who he is today. And we can see that because he has not demonstrated in any way, shape, or form in the 30 years since he put that in his yearbook, that he believes anything different from what that signifies.
3: That's the best point, Andrew. Like that's what I was going to say. Like there's there's of course he had I mean, from my knowledge, I don't follow him because I have um no interest in following p- things like that. But um, when I do see him pop up, he's, he's never been, it's, it's, it's apparent, you know what I mean? There's, there's moments where like, okay, that's obviously they've changed. It's, they were, they were eight years old and this was a full blown adult. I know he was a young, young, young adult, but then an adult. And he's never made it seem, I mean, everything he stands for, I mean, sand, it, it adds up. As a 40-year-old person, however old he is now, it adds up to exactly what it was then. So it's not one of those like, oh, let's take this with a grain of salt, which I think we should in certain instances. But with this one, it's literally not. This isn't times have changed. This is like...
2: Exactly. It was mm-hmm. 1991. We can think critically about this. You know, we've criticized the cancel culture on this podcast before. We yeah. all have our opinions about it. This is not that because you can just see like, how has he changed? His first thought was not to come out and, and head it off by saying, "Look, I I do not feel this way anymore. This is some dumb shit I said when I was nineteen. I mean, who who has not said some dumb shit when they were nineteen? Right. But
3: you right. change, you grow, he you is not go in a different back. direction. He hasn't.
0: No. Yep. This is opposition research, and this is cancer culture by Jeff Bezos. Jeff Bezos does not like decide what the Washington Post story really. is going to be every day. He owns it because he is a greedy fucking billionaire. <laughs> like, I, like this is not a story that Jeff Bezos said, let's get some dirt on Tucker Carlson. Can you look at his college yearbook? Like, no, this is somebody said like, fuck Tucker Carlson. It was probably a gay intern, you know? <laughs> like
1: no, yeah, it was probably just like some girl who knew him in college it was just like man that guy was a real dick
3: (laughs) let's look in the yearbook yeah Yeah, seriously like someone just happened to look in the fucking yearbook
1: i will say i like i'm curious to know like who would care about this who currently like listens and supports tucker carlson they
3: wouldn't like they all agree
1: like there are certain things where like if someone said if someone came out with something saying oh trump's a racist I I truly think he would gain more people than he lost. Cause they're like, Oh, I thought he wasn't racist enough. Like
0: he's honest. Now too. they're like, Oh, he's
1: actually like, let me join in. So it's <laughs> it's one of those things where it doesn't matter. Like Tucker Carlson just could have not said anything, and he literally would have been fine.
0: Fox News did not
1: return the
0: Washington Post request for a comment. Because They have no one who wants to advertise there now. They have nobody who wants to sponsor those shows. It's the depths of the earth, you know, that are like corporations wanting to advertise on Fox News. And so.
3: And that's why I switched to Newsmax.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know what, I've graduated to the Gateway Pundit, so I don't know what you guys are up to. (laughs) Literal
1: fake news. I just see what Candace has to say yes my girl yeah
2: we should do an episode on tucker i fucking hate Tucker. i feel like we do
0: every week every week (laughs) our whole lives are
1: hating tucker carlson it's my personality yeah
0: Yeah. well you know what he's going to declare his candidacy in 2024 so well um, that's um, what people are saying
2: because he said opposition research hopefully climate change yeah that's what Um, i was thinking you know
0: what he said? Nobody has plans to run. We all know, bitch. Hopefully, You're climate a change hungry, power catches hungry. up to us
1: by then. I know,
2: Kirk. Kirk. You know what? I take it all back. Let's pollute this planet into the dirt. Dude, let's kill go ourselves in the next four years.
1: You know what gets me though? I know so many people who are like, I want Candace Owens. Like Owens, twenty twenty four. I don't know if she'd be eligible, twenty twenty four. But yeah, she would be. Yeah, I was just saying, one, three, two. Yeah. I would would say good black don't crack but that ain't good black but um, someone was like yeah she'll be our first black female president and I just do you know how upset I would be if she took that title like I'd be like Jesus fucking Christ like not the worst one (laughs) it's like someone's trying to pick the most beautiful Kardashian and they they go for Rob (laughs) like
3: okay but he used to be I would have picked Rob (laughs) (laughs) Where is this episode going? What are we ending? I thought it ended.
0: I don't know. I think we've packed up enough. I think Andrew's going to have to edit out some of my rant. Um, you know, we'll have to cut some time out there. But um, this has been another episode of Let's Unpack That. I hope that you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, certainly we did. We got some stuff off of our chest. Um, so um, if you like this episode, if you enjoyed this episode, please like, rate, comment, share, subscribe to our OnlyFans and our OnlyPods. It was great talking with you all. (laughs) (laughs) See you next Monday. Fuck Tucker.